Welcome to this Get Ignited conversation hosted by Beth Chesterton. Today's conversation is with Dr. Karambu Ringera, who is internationally recognized for her cutting-edge work in innovative and sustainable models of development and peacebuilding, women's human rights, and global leadership programs. Born and raised in Meru, Kenya, Dr. Karambu earned her PhD in intercultural communications, as well as master's degrees in media and theological studies. Dr. Karambu is a Cordes Social Entrepreneurs Fellow, a Next Generation Leader Fellow of the McCain Institute for International Leadership, and winner of the African Achievers Award. Enjoy. Well, hello, everybody. This is a Get Ignited Conversation, and we are here today with Dr. Karambu Ringera. Dr. Karambu Ringera is a visionary, an activist, a compassionate, committed, formidable force for change, and an inspiration to all who meet her. Those are not my words. Those are words that are written about Karambu that I have come across and they couldn't be more fitting. Okay, Karambu, let's start with you. What would you like to say as we begin the call? Thank you so much for that uh, beautiful introduction. I receive it with gratitude, knowing that indeed I have done some work in my life. And I want to welcome everybody who has joined us. Karambu, Dr. Ringera, please tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and how you got to this place. What is your life like today? It's 2020. It is October 1st in 2020. And you're in Kenya right now. Tell us a little bit about your life today, please. It's interesting that this call, this gathering was held today on the 1st of October because that was the day I left a marriage I was in. And I was thinking about it earlier today and I have never looked back once I stepped out of that door. I don't regret it. And over years I've thought about what it feels in my heart and in my body and it was the right thing to do. That is not to say I'm telling anyone to leave their spouse or partner. I'm just saying in this call, in this talk, in this meeting, in this circle, I'll be sharing my story about my lived experience in this body, in, on this planet at this time. What I'm doing today is working with people to awaken to their power and to their calling. Mainstream thinking has taught us, especially women within patriarchy and all the systems that patriarchy has created, everything that is feminine has been suppressed and has been relegated as emotional. It doesn't matter. And today, patriarchy and its systems are not working because the feminine energy that comprises the balance that needs to be there has been neglected. And so wh where I am today is a sharing of who I have become, reclaiming my feminine voice, holding my masculine one too, but unearthing, reclaiming that which has been, you know, relegated to the to the roadside and that which has been used to make me feel like I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And I, today I am working to reclaim all those spaces, uh, sharing the experience for how I have reclaimed, uh, reclaimed that for myself and holding a space and an invitation for anyone who is also looking for that to dance to do the dance with me so that together we can reclaim those spaces. So that's a really great context to set for our conversation. Today, we're not only gonna learn about Dr. Rangera's journey and the very important work she's doing in Kenya, in Africa, and in the world, but we're also gonna learn about ourselves a little bit. So when you think about uh, today, where you are today, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing right now. In 2020, you all know COVID-19 um, knocked at our doors. And so this year has been a year of staying home with the children. 
I started international peace initiatives while I was at the University of Denver. And one of our programs is the Kitoka Amani Children's Home, which was opened in 2009. And before 2009, I was working with women living with HIV and AIDS, challenged by poverty and violence in their lives. And working over the years with these so-called vulnerable groups has taught me certain ways of being that I am using now in raising the 101 children that we have in our programs. This photo that you see on the screen is actually the children's home. And the ground floor is actually named after Michelle Hovey. I hope she is on this call because I would like to really appreciate her for the journey that we began together as soul, soul journeys, sisters. And uh, the second floor was built with support from a friend from the UK. And this is where we live with the children. And because COVID-19 um, brought home some of the kids who did not have to live with us because they were going to boarding school, some of them had nowhere to go. So they came back home. And so we had to separate them. So some kids are living in the building that you just saw, and some kids are living at a new site that we have, uh, that we are building now. And actually that's how we have spent our time dancing with COVID-19. So I am just taking care of kids, of children, and doing the best that I can to regenerate, uh, for them to step into the regeneration of their lives. Now, how many children are in the home right now? 63, six, three. And how many have graduated or left the home who've been raised in your home? Uh, those who have been raised and left the home are not many, they're about 25. But the children that have been supported by our work over time are over 2,500. Now, tell us a little bit about how your home, which is called Koch, right? Part of International Peace Initiatives. How is it different than other homes, let's say orphanages in Africa? How's it different? First of all, it's in the name, the naming. It's not an orphanage. It's not an institution. It is a home. That's why we call it Kithoka. Kithoka is the area where we are situated. Amani is peace, a children's home. So it's a home and we live as a family. And that's the difference. The naming of it as an orphanage, as an institution, is embedded in the mainstream thinking that has named things like, um, um, like an orphan, a child who doesn't have parents as an orphan. In my native language, there's no word for an orphan because a child could never be an orphan without parents because the community provided that for them. So there is no word for orphan in our, in, our, in our native language. So in the naming, it's different. They are children, they are normal, they are whole, they are complete, and they are enough. And there's nothing wrong with them. The circumstances that they found themselves in had nothing to do with them. But in, in, in mainstream thinking, we, we mark them, we name them as orphans. And that's how they internalize who they are. And they live like that. And we don't give them enough resources to get out of their circumstances, and then we blame them. So at our home, it, it is a home. It's not an institution. We don't see them as orphans. And we work with them as they, they, they know they are whole, they are complete, they are my, my, my kids. You know, I, they call me mom, <laughs> you know. And that's what they know. And if you follow Dr. Rangera on social media under Karambu Rangera, you will see that the children will report in, the ones who have left the home who are in university, they will report back and say, hi, mom, and talk to her and really refer to her and see her as their mother, their loving mother, and you are a loving mother, and to all of us, actually. And so one of the things I'm wondering is how do you reinforce the message that they are whole and they are enough? First of all, they, there's no reminding them 
we, we don't keep telling them, like, for example, if someone does wrong, we keep telling them, oh, you hopeless, helpless, little parentless person. We, we don't name them. We don't mark them. We, we call them by their names. And so if it is Alex who's done something wrong, it is Alex. And we don't make them wrong. So for example, when someone does something wrong and they come and tell me, even when they start, you know, telling me so-and-so has done what, I don't want to hear what they've done before they go back and call that person. And he or she reports the person while the person is there so that I also have an opportunity to hear the story from the other side. And once everybody has told their story, I will say, so what do you want to do? You want to box each other or do you want to understand why this person said this and why the other one did what they did? I'll tell you that most of the time you find that someone who comes and tells me, oh, someone has pushed me and I have fallen down and they're screaming their heads off. We find that there's a way that that person was that led to the other to inadvertently, um, you know, cross their path. And we really have more sessions of saying sorry more than, you know, sessions of blaming each other. That's one of the ways that we have removed the stigma of the kids are wrong or something is wrong with them or there's something wrong with where we live. And I, I keep reminding them and I keep telling them, if you really feel that this is not home for you and you know you, there's a place where you'll be more comfortable being home, just let me know. Even okay. with COVID-19, I kept saying that. And I will tell you that no one wanted to go, to go anywhere. And so that for me is uh, one of my uh, measuring yards to see, because I've given them freedom to really choose where they want to be and to really be who they want to be. Because I keep reminding them, me, I'm living my calling. What they choose to do with it is their, is their choice. Because kids live as if they are living for their parents or they are living for someone else. I say, this is your life. I'll never come and sit in class for you. But I have given you the, 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 everything that you need to take hold of your life, to embrace it and do with it what you want to do. So I think it's so important for everyone. And when you hear Dr. Rangera's stories of the challenges that the children have faced and her message that we're not going to be victims, that we all can take charge of our lives. And she's, that's really, I feel like, one of the things that you are doing for not only the children in your home, but the women who you provide teach skills to. And also it's important that everyone knows that this home is a place that people come from all over the world to go through leadership training led by Dr. Rangera. First of all, tell us a little bit about how it came to be that you got all of these children. <laughs> so I am, I am working with women living with HIV. And I'm telling you, they think that they are going to die any, any minute. And I'm like, you're not going to go anywhere. So they, they tell me, no, we want you to know when we die, they are telling me this, our children will be yours. And I look at them. I have only one kid. I have no house. I am, I am a struggling student in America. And 95 women are telling me, when we die, these kids will be yours. And I'm telling them, it's okay. I'll take your children. But please don't die quickly. And they think I'm crazy. And I'm telling them, unless we look at our circumstances, understand them, and embody them, they will overcome us. They will beat us but we have what we, it takes to beat these circumstances and so society you know like in the world we've created certain systems eh? so even if, if a woman is living with hiv and aids we we think there's something wrong you know there's you know the stigma and discrimination and so they internalize there's something wrong with them the same case with the children oh i'm an orphan i don't have parents so there's something wrong with me no 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 we victimize ourselves you know, beyond the communal um, victimization. And so what we, what we did was when they came and said, can you please help me? I said, I don't know how to help anyone. Can you tell me how you want to help yourself? And that is what woke them up. It took them half a year to imagine, to think about how do we help ourselves? How do people help themselves? We've, been, we've lost our husbands. We are sick ourselves. 
we are helpless and hopeless. And I said, I don't help anyone. Until you figure your helplessness and hopelessness, then we cannot, we cannot talk until you figure it out. And I'm telling you, they took six months to figure out what they could do to change their circumstances. And once they learned a skill, then that's where we started the journey of uh, reclaiming the spaces uh, that they found themselves in. Beautiful. So, you t- so now you ha- tell these women that you will not help them. They need to help themselves. And if they will, then, then you will help them. Now yeah, then you can start talking. I don't help anyone. Like I didn't tell them then I can help you. I told them then we can start talking about right. how we are going to do this dance. Okay, so this is so powerful. So here we are, as I understand, you're a young woman, you're in school, you're learning, you're getting educated, and now you're taking on all this responsibility. So you go to the government and you say, I need land, right? And what happens? I, the women came and asked me that question. What, what will happen to our kids when we die? And I said, I don't know. And they said, we want you to know they'll be yours. I said, fine, I'm in school. My mom was already living with nine of the kids and she was like, what are you going to do with these kids? My mom is living with nine of them. I'm a student. I can't afford to send her any money. And she's telling me uh, during the holidays when I come, you better get a space and stay with the kids. So that is what I would do. So what happened then is I said to the women, you have to look for the land because I don't, I have to go back to school. And they went and then they looked for land for about a year. The next time I came home, they told me, come, come. We found a, a, a place, but we have to meet a committee of 111 people. I said, let's go. It's your story. You're going to speak to them. They thought I was going to speak for them. And I said, it's your story. You're going to speak too. So we went and spoke to this committee, convinced them that, yes, we needed that piece of land. And they gave it to us with a 12-man committee to overlook how, to oversee how we were going to be working on this land. And when we went to see the land, it was a piece of rocky waste land, like literally a piece of rocky wasteland. And when I came to the land, I felt like, oh, I was washed with love and gratitude for this space that now we can build a children's home. And everybody thought I was crazy. And when they gave us that piece of land, I felt like they were saying, take this piece of wasteland for your wasteland women living with HIV and your wasteland children who have no parents. And so that piece of wasteland and the dance with the women and the children actually taught me the tenets of reclaim that now I used to share how the land, that piece of wasteland, those rocks, dancing with those rocks has taught me the regenerative model that now I speak about. So this really ties beautifully into your leadership work. When Karamba sees a problem and Dr. Rangara sees a problem, she actually works on creating solutions and empowering other people to create solutions for themselves. When she sees in the world that there is a gap in the kind of leadership that she would like to see, she decides to help people see the leader within themselves and to cultivate that. Talk about your leadership work, please, and your philosophy. I am a leader and I am leading international peace initiatives and my children are watching me. And I am, you know, my intention is for them to become leaders too. Indeed, my intention is for them to run IPI when I'm out of here. And Then I started looking at the leadership models that we have. And I am seeing that we think that a leader is someone special and a leader is someone who comes and tells us things. So in in patriarchal, everything comes from someone else. So everything is, everything's beautiful, everything peaceful, everything healthy is always from outside. And I, I knew for me that I needed to create something unique for the children. And so I started thinking, how, how do we create something special when people don't even know who they are? Remember my journey, not knowing who I am and recognizing, oh my gosh, for all these years, I've been living someone else's story, someone else's agenda, you know? And I, I decided that I was going to create a model that first teaches me who I am, not who I am from what people say I am 
or who I am from what people have taught me I am. Not who I am from all the systems that have socialized me, but I peel all the layers of these namings and markings. And at the bottom of that peeling, where I find nothing, that is where I start naming myself. So I created a model that begins with asking the question, who am I? And that's a question I ask my kids also, because they've all done the NGL, the New Generation Leaders Program. And I called it new because everybody talks about training the next generation of leaders. And I keep asking youth, you've been lied to. When is next going to come? You know, because every time you get to a place, they tell you, oh, it's the next, it's the next. So the mindset of a next generation leader is that, oh, I can sit back and wait for that time to come. It will not come because us, the ones who are holding spaces and positions, don't want to leave. And then we don't think about the gifts that we've been given to lead now where we are. So I started telling my kids, you're going to take over this place and I'm not going to wait until I die. I am going to leave it to you even before I die so that I see whether you've been paying attention. So the, the first question then we ask ourselves is, who am I? And you peel all those layers of what, who you think you are because that's not who you are. And then you start thinking about the systems within which you live and how they have inhibited or enhanced your life. I look at patriarchy, for example, and, and, and gender dynamics, things that have been told I can't do because I'm a woman. You know, like when we were building the children's home, men started saying, have you ever seen a house built by a woman? And I was like, this is 205. There is no house that has ever been built by a woman in Kenya in, in the 21st century then I'm going to be the first one. Of course, there were women who have built houses, but women give the money to the man and they build the house because they don't want the man to be shamed. And then they say the man has built the house. But I know a lot of my friends who built their own, their, their, their homes, <laughs> you know? So after you figured the systems and how they have inhibited you, and these systems are like religion. These systems are like capitalism. These systems are like, for me, it is tribalism. In other places, it is racism, sexism, patriarchy. All these systems that have told us we are one thing when we are really enhancing someone else's agenda. So once I understand those uh, systems, remember the worst system, the most lethal system that stops us is ourselves because of the way we've been programmed by the systems. And so we, we, we have these limiting thoughts about ourselves. We don't know that we are amazingly powerful, you know? And so when I know who I am and what stops me, I have to create a new story. So what's my new story going to be? That's a hard place for a lot of us because we never even thought about who we are. So we never have a new story because we are living someone else's story. So once I figure my new story, then I have to look for who are my allies that we are going to do this dance with. And I can't work with people who have that old story mindset and heart set. And then once we, 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 we figure our allies then, or once I figured my allies, then we did certain things. And once we got to what we were doing, for example, when I was building the children's home, I would look at what is stopping me here um, how are the chiefs and the men uh, working to discourage us and things like that? And in, in thinking about what are our strengths and what we are doing, then we look at what is emerging, what have we created? And in our reflection, we think about what have we learned? What do we need to unlearn? What have we relearned? And so what has been our growth? And when I finished the children's home, the building, and I brought the first 10 kids, then I had to start again. Now with 10 kids, I've never brought up more than one kid. Who am I? What stops me? And it is a spiral of constant, transformative, regenerative dialogue within myself that keeps reminding me why I'm doing what I am doing. Okay, I think, sir, first of all, there's so much that's being said. I want to encourage this group to please chat in your thoughts. I see that people are sending in highlighted comments. 
Um, they're noting what you say. Also send in questions and also send in what do you admire about Dr. Rangera? This is Get Ignited, which is part of the Ignite Method. The Ignite Method is about discovering and unleashing your genius so that you can accomplish the extraordinary. Now, I sometimes think people think that's just motivational speak, but it's actually not because the act of discovering your genius is very powerful work. It's not that different than what Dr. Regera is discussing right now. What gets in the way for seeing what it is we have to work with and what happens to us when we start to notice what we have to work with is that we become so ignited. We're on fire, moving toward making things happen. Now, if there's anybody on this call who's political and thinking Dr. Ringer is political, she's actually not political in the way we think of it in the States. She was a McCain fellow, next generation leader, is that what they called your fellow? Mm -hmm. For uh, John McCain's Institute, she mm -hmm. has won many awards, but she's always working with how do we create the solution that we need. And it's never about somebody taking care of us. It's always about us taking care of ourselves and being in community, but really caring for ourselves and moving things forward ourselves. How many leaders are you working with now, in addition to your children, pre-COVID? What's going on with you in the leadership work you're doing? And what are you seeing um, in the work you're doing? First of all, let's define who a leader is. A leader is a person who works not to show people how great they are, rather works to show people how great they are. So in the work that I do, I'm not working to say so that when people see me, they're like, oh, wow, see what Dr. K is doing. It is so they can see their power. They can see the leader in them and step into that leader. So the leaders that I work with are youth. Because people who already are holding positions of power, you know, I've been schooled in the old school of thinking that, oh, since I was elected, now I, am, I, I hold power over others. So I work with the youth to recognize that we are not here to have power over others. We are here to have power through, through us and with others. It is not power over. It is power through and power with others. So once we get that right, <clears throat> and then I say, there's no one who is helpless. There's no one who is hopeless. So stop telling me to help you discover the leader in you. Only you can discover the leader within you. But you will never get there unless you know who you are. So once we sort out who we, we say we are, and I'll tell you that for me, once I did the peeling, I, I, I got that I am love and light. Who I am is always embedded in a value. And once I get that value, that's who I choose to live my life every day. So every day I'm present to Karambu is love and light. And I don't even call myself Dr. Ringera. Ringera is my father's name. But that's a story for another day because when I didn't change my name when I got married and now I call myself Dr. Karambu, Karambu is my maiden, my name, my name. I want a kid, a girl, to hear Dr. Karambu and recognize that they too can be a doctor. But if I call myself Dr. Ringera, they think it's a man. They call me, oh, swah, stuff like that. So it's even in the name, the names that we give ourselves and our children. They mean language. Language is so powerful. Language is so powerful. So when I went to the McCain Institute for the Next Generation Leaders Program, they taught us leadership from a militaristic point of view because the, the leaders were a former general and a former ambassador. And they taught us um, leadership from that from that perspective, but the, the, the program is called Character Driven Leadership. And they had some amazing tools, readings that we had to do and placements that we had to live through. However, when I came back, I knew that I wasn't going to start 
a leadership program by that name. But I was going to create something new because I, I couldn't start from where they, from the, where, what I learned because I perceived we don't even know who we are as leaders here in Kenya. And until we know who we are, then we can go to the next level. But when you discover that you are love and light, for example, I discovered I'm, I'm love and light or whatever your value is, then we can start talking about a character-driven, values-based leadership. And so now I call it regener regenerative leadership. Regeneration is about igniting a fire within a person. And this ignition is such that once you learn your beingness, how to be in this life, the values that lead you will bring you to, when you come to a, another problem or challenge, you use what you learned here. You bring it to this new situation. It, you're creating a new story every day, but you're being present to life every moment because you're not living someone else's story. You're living your calling and your purpose. And that makes a big difference. Now, I can't help it. I'm in the United States here. I'm right smack dab in the middle of the country in Missouri. And we just had our debates, and I'm not asking you to weigh in on our election, but I am asking you to share with us, what did you admire about John McCain and, and um, the, the leader that he was? We met John McCain twice uh, during the whole year when we first went to Washington, D.C. at the beginning. And when, when, and when we went to, for a conference, for a, a leaders conference in Arizona, and what struck me was his level of listening to us when we spoke. He, he wasn't just sitting there to tell us, people from all these other countries that are challenged by this and the other, he listened to us. He listened to our leadership action plans. What did we want to do with what we learned? And then we were, be, we were told about his, his leadership and the things that he had gone through his life. And the one thing that I remember is when he was in detention and when they, dis, they realized who he was, they wanted to release him. And he refused to go. He said, if you want to release me, you have to release me with everybody in this room. He refused to go. I don't know how many people would do that. He, he was a man who, even as the side of his political leaning that he was in, he didn't have to stand there all the time if something was not aligned with his character-driven leadership. He, he, he wasn't uh, dominated by the party line so that whether it was stupid or it was enhancing people's lives, he had to stick there. When they were offline, he said it. And he lived his life like that. And that is what I most admired about him. He was a man of his words, you know, so to, so to speak. And that is what I admired about him. Okay, I love that. Thank you for commenting. And so I was saying before that the Ignite Method is about discovering and unleashing your genius so that you can accomplish the extraordinary. Get Ignited calls are calls where we actually get to talk to people who have overcome incredible obstacles and who really are fully ignited in the work they're doing. And so there's something called the glow, which is where we like to, you cannot see yourself without the help of others. And although Dr. Karambu, and thank you for the distinction, is incredibly insightful about herself, probably she doesn't fully see how amazing she is. So we're gonna share what it is you're admiring about Dr. Karambu. If you wanna text it in, you can, or chat it in. If you wanna speak it, you can. We're gonna take a moment to do a glow. And as we begin the glow, I would like to say on this call, we have very many people who have known Dr. Karambu in different ways. We also have people who've never met Dr. Karambu before. But Michelle Hovey, who Dr. Karambu mentioned is a good friend who's on this call, texted in, they worked as partners since 2003. Dr. Karambu actually recognized Michelle's um, first floor of the home and her involvement in creating the first floor and many more aspects of the work with International Peace Initiatives. Michelle wrote, I admired her calm spirit combined with a great sense of humor. I admire her complete commitment to learning and growing and to live her life and to change her life according to what she's learned at each phase. Nancy Ross, uh, who's on the call also, 
who was the International Peace Initiative's U.S. Managing Director for many years and is very committed to Dr. Karambu's work in the organization, wrote, I admire her ability to overcome constant obstacles with such an amazing can-do spirit. And I admire her relentless commitment to a very high ethical standard that she will not compromise. We have Elaine Gale, who went through a Denver PhD program with you. I remember meeting you in Karambu in, in the orientation for our doctorate at the University of Denver. I remember your love and light immediately. I remember laughing with you at orientation and the depth and delight you brought to our cohort in our doctoral program. I love how you've taken your doctoral education out into the world and made that knowledge so heart-centered and practical, how it is such embodied scholarship and practitioner scholarship that lives in the world now. Anne-Marie Sargent, who is never met you before, said, I've never met Dr. Karambu, but I admire her courage and peace and steadfast power. She reminds me of a majestic mountain. Donna Stevens, who is calling in from the West Coast, says she remembers that the woman had actually built homes, but they gave the credit for doing it to the husbands. Question, how are we hesitant to take credit for what we do because we are concerned about the effect it might have? Michelle Hoffman writes, also on the West Coast, you are a role model in your ability to step into who you truly are and the impact you've had in the world. You are exemplary in your ability to learn from those who have come before you, integrate the most valuable messages and share the vital lessons of your life learned with those who will lead us next. Question, when did you first begin to see your own strengths? Thank you so much for those beautiful comments. Michelle, thank you for being my soul sister. Who we are at IPI and Catch wouldn't be if it wasn't for you. And you're giving your rally baton, what is it called, to Nancy when your board um, position term ended. And together, I say that the Harvey family is who we are at API and catch wouldn't be if, you were, if it wasn't for you. I, I mean, literally. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for being my soul sisters <laughs> in the, on this journey. So ask me the question again, because now I was getting emotional. Well, I was curious, Dr. Karambu, when you saw in yourself your own strengths, when did you come to believe that you had all that you have in you? When did you see it? I saw it when I hit rock bottom, when my son was taken away from me for 17 years. At the beginning, he was stolen, but I eventually found where he was. And during that journey of looking for my son and finding where he was and all that stuff, for about three years, um, I used to have dreams about him drowning. And every night, I had to make it my business to save him before I woke up. He couldn't drown. And then during that time also, I used to dream about being in, in these spaces that were not really clean. And I had a wound on my leg. And it was an ugly, bad wound from the bandage, which was like all bloody, all, you know, dirty and stuff like that. And I kept, every night I dreamt I had that wound. And one night I decided what the... I am going to remove this bandage. And I had no wound. There was no wound on my leg. My leg was just decolored from that um, bandage having been there for so long. And that is when I understood because of the story, there's a long story about my son because I got my son out of, uh, out of wedlock and you know the way during those days, we were so judged if you got a child out of wedlock. And you know, no one, no one even used to ask you, uh, how come you, 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 you got this baby? I, I've never told anyone that I actually got raped. That's how I got pregnant. And so, so, and that's another long story. So I won't go that route. So when I woke up, uh, when I decided to open that wound and I found that I had no wound, I, I realized that 
Thank you so much, Karambu, for your vulnerability and for sharing this with us. Thank you. So when I, I, I realized that the, what the society, what I perceived as what society was saying about me was what was killing me, not who I knew I was. So in peeling that and finding that I had no wound was two messages for me. That is what I made it mean for me. I can heal myself. I can heal. And I truly do now. Number two, that is when I understood the power of internalizing societal naming and marking. It can kill you. I, I think I, I got to a place where one day I remember I was walking to work from where the public transport dropped us. We used to walk for about 20 minutes to the office. And I reached the gate of the university and I couldn't remember how I got there. I, I, I was like, how did I get here? Because I was just, you know, over, over soaked with that thing about my son, it's my fault, he's going to die, I don't know what. So that is when I got, someone here asked about my haha moment. That is when I knew it, it's in my hands to rescue myself. I'm, I'm not even calling it saving, to rescue myself from the, patriarchal naming and marking. This man rapes me and now he comes and steals my son. And it's like, he doesn't belong to me. You know, I was like, this is gonna end here. And what I said in that moment was, in this, this matter of my son, I will have the last word. Like I knew it, like God, you better be on my side cause this is it. And, and today I have my son. And that guy died from HIV and AIDS. And I was the one who was the prostitute, you know. Thank you so much again, Dr. Karambu, for sharing that. Yesterday when we talked, Karambu had an incredible quote, and she said, they judged me and I believed them. And when I found out who I am, I understand I am love and light. I live fearlessly and joyfully and in freedom. I am whole, I am pure, I am complete, and I'm enough. Actually, that's when I, I created that phrase that I am whole, <laughs> I am complete, I am pure, and I am enough. And from that place, you now help others see that they too are not defined by how people judge them and see them and by their wounds. Absolutely. Yes. I am not my circumstances. I am not my pains. I am not what people say that I am. I, Karambu, am love and light. That's all there is. We have someone on the call who just wrote in, Mary Elizabeth Grimes. Dr. Karambu, I'm, a, I'm president of an all-girls school. Many of our students are on the path you have walked for yourself. I am so inspired by the witness of your life. Because you are living your true self, the impact of your presence will influence so many lives around the world. Experiencing your light will be passed on to my girls and others I encounter. Thank God for you. Tracy Stissers says, I love your honesty, strength, authenticity. Thank you. Elaine Gale says, so beautiful. I will never forget this story, Karambu. This is a good time, you all. This is Get Ignited. These calls are free. And we're gonna look at these pictures, but I ask every guest now, what can we do if we wanna make a gift in your name? There's no pressure to anybody on the call, but if you are so moved, it just so happens, Dr. Karambu, tell us if we wanted to make a gift because we're so moved. Tell us a little bit about where our money might go. And Sandy can put some pictures up. And again, it's no pressure, everybody. This is just okay. our gift back to our guest who generously gives of herself. Thank you. So this is when we were celebrating um, all the kids' birthdays because um, every holiday, uh, that is in April, August, and December, when the kids are not in school, we, we, we collect the birth dates of all the kids from January, February, March. In April, we ce celebrate their birthdays. Uh, May, June, July, in August, we do that, and so on and so forth. So this is one of the times that we were celebrating everybody's birthdays, and we had some guests. You can see them at the back. Actually, they are the ones who treated the kids to their birthdays. And so 
in this COVID-19 days, um, most of the funding that is coming in is to help me feed. You can imagine if you have 63 kids that you're, that you're feeding breakfast, lunch, dinner, illnesses, um, clothes. Like now they've all outgrown their, <laughs> their clothes because they're at home for a whole. They've been home since March. And so um, just watching them thrive and grow and do all the things that we are doing together at the home. For example, when we closed uh, schools in March, we organized so that high school, this kid, the, the girl is in high school from one. So she was teaching the lower primary kids. The university students were teaching the high school kids. Then the high school kids were teaching the primary level uh, students. So we had classrooms <laughs> at home in different rooms where everybody was doing their, their work. And it was just beautiful and amazing how they supported each other. That and I, I understand from people who have visited IPI and of course, Koch, there's so many people on the call who are already supporting and part of IPI, but the, the children really do keep a tight schedule. Did I understand you keep a very rigorous schedule for the kids? You have high expectations. Yeah, I tell them I have two master's degrees and a PhD, and I expect them to have two PhDs at the least. They have to do better than I did. So I inspire them to see that they can be whoever they want to become. And, and truly, they are embodying that. Um, one of the kids was speaking somewhere recently, and he said that I may be an orphan. He had talked about what he had learned from being at the children's home at Kach. And he said, I may be an orphan, but I'm not the one who is dead. You know, I was like, I could never ever, you know, get that line. I may be an orphan, but I'm not the one who is dead. And, and so that tells me that he, he has learned that he truly has what it takes to make the best of his life. And actually he's graduating. They're going back to school in two weeks time for him to do his final exams as a computer engineer and math um, undergraduate person. And he's done amazing. He's the one actually who is taking over from me here with another kid called Naomi Mwangi. So I have been working with them this year so that they can start running IPI and start learning, you know, you know, like, um, practicing their leadership skills because they, they are co-facilitators and facilitators in the new generation leaders program with me. Oh, that's and terrific. So, yeah. Are you still allowing, so I'm hoping Sandy will add a link. It's international peace initiatives. Is that right? And Sandy's going to add a link to the chat. Yeah. It's international peace initiative, www.ipeacei.org ipci.org and if you go there you go to the donate button you will be able to choose what category you want to support you can support a kid with school fees you can support um, um living at catch you can support whatever it is there is a whole list of things over there that you can choose or it can just be general fund you know it is now in the, it's in the chat, the link, and, and I really appreciate it. And I do know that many people on this call have been there and have visited you. And when COVID hopefully um, moves on from Kenya and you have space, it's a, it's a, people say that the children are some of the most wonderful children they've ever met. They're so, <laughs> Thank you. they're so polite. They're so joyful and that you've created yeah. quite a world and for those of you who are hosting events when we start doing events again live events it's a wonderful place to do live work and to come to and and adults any age person is allowed to go through one of your programs is that correct yeah it's for everyone and actually um, we've done it with even kids from the u.s who come uh, through the student shoulder to shoulder program so if anyone has a high school kids through student shoulder to shoulder uh, those students are able to come. We take um, interns. For, we work right now with University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, Waterloo University in Canada, and I have had <laughs> volunteers through Ecologia. Liz, I, Lisa is on this call, the lady that I greeted from Scotland. She works with us to bring um, 
to support these women that you can see on the screen right now. That's a skills training program. We are one of the only schools in the whole country that allows mothers to come to, to learn a skill with their babies because other schools won't allow them to do that. But Ecologia Youth Trust, actually they're celebrating their 25 years this year. So you can check them out, Ecologia Youth Trust. And um, so through, with them, we, we bring volunteers from the UK, we bring volunteers from the US and from Australia, from wherever. When they apply and they're aligned with what we are doing and we have a project for them to come and do, they come and we do this regenerative dance together. So I want to say something. You see, most of the people from, like the students and kids from the West come thinking, oh, we are going to help those poor Africans. And I say, I invited you here, not because I need your help, but because I want you to recognize that we are intricately linked. Our, our, our lives are intricately linked. And you're here to learn about yourself. You're here to find who you are and why you're on this earth. So you're not coming to help us. We are coming to help each other discover who we are. Totally changes their worldview. Uh, when they leave. There's a, students from the University of Milwaukee, we work with the master's program in sustainable peace building. So they, this last summer, last year, uh, because they couldn't come this summer, they, 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 they did a research and they, they, they did a survey with people who visited us to see the impact it had had on their lives. And it was an amazing report that they sent me. But now I recognize the impact that our work has had is, is beyond our borders. It's beyond Kenya, Africa, it's all over the world. And now people are inviting us to, to, to think about doing online new generation leadership programs and things like that because it has transformed the lives of every day, I'll tell you, every day on either Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever, someone writes me to tell me, even today, I could read for you how a kid wrote and said, thank you so much for transforming my life because I don't know where I would be if I didn't, if I wasn't at catch or if I didn't do the New Generation Leaders Program. We're doing the dance together. We don't do things for people. We just hold a space for you to step into your power. You, you, you're not powerless. You're not helpless. You're so loved. You're so amazing. No one should tell you anything less. We are whole complete, pure, and enough, each one of us. Let's step into that, and nothing will stop us in this world, nothing. Mm -hmm.